and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. How's it going? Great. I am really looking forward to this particular episode. So am I. Um, before we get into it, let's recap the Bitcoin Butlers five best practices for Bitcoin owners. Um, the first one is to buy your Bitcoin from a reputable exchange. The second one is to move that Bitcoin from an exchange to a multi-sig wallet setup. Number three is to create a strong inheritance plan for your Bitcoin. Number four, which is what we'll be talking about tonight, is to run your own full node on the Bitcoin network. And number five is to perform maintenance, at least annually, on the plan. So we have heard from our listeners that they've been enjoying the first three episodes of our podcast, but the biggest request that we received is for some more simple and basic information around what is Bitcoin. And I actually think that fits in perfectly with best practice number four, which is to run your own node, which I know that when a lot of people hear that, it's going to be somewhat terrifying and maybe even overwhelming. So my question to you, Matt, is if someone were to be a time traveler, let's say from the year 2000, and they arrive today and you have to explain to them what is Bitcoin in very, very basic terms, how would you describe it? So let me get this straight. What you're saying is that somebody comes from the past and the first place they go is to the Bitcoin Butler's channel on YouTube? Anything is possible. <laughs> right. So um, I think that um, the easiest way to explain it without being technical at all is that Bitcoin is a decentralized network of computers that creates and validates transactions using software that are confirmed with mathematics um, to create a monetary network. Okay, so what do you mean exactly by a decentralized network? So decentralized means that there is no central authority so in the in the past, when you've had um, you know more traditional computer networks that are not peer to peer like the Bitcoin network, um, you have an actual uh, computer or set of computers that are kind of running the show. So if you have the most common would be like a corporate computer network. If you work for a company and they have a network, they've got servers that are you know, distributing the information to the various people on the network. In the case of the Bitcoin network, each node on the network is running the software and there's no single uh, computer that's running that software that is any different than any of the other computers. And that's why they're called peers. And there's also no one that has the power to shut off the Bitcoin network. If you have a, a private company and let's just say your, your private company is either hosting their own servers or using some kind of cloud service, they can make a phone call or press a few buttons and they can shut down their network if they want to. But with right. Bitcoin, there's nobody that can shut down the network. Correct. As long as there is a computer running the software, um, the network can, can run. And as far as the, the I'm going to call it the money that sits on the Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. What is the money? Is there an actual coin that you get? No, it, it's uh, it's in cyberspace. It's virtual. Um, 
And so you, there's no such thing as an actual Bitcoin. All that you have is a piece of a pie, which is 21 million Bitcoins at the maximum. It will, there will never be more than 21 million coins on the network. And those 21 million coins can be um, divided into, you know, at least 100 million units per coin. A Satoshi is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, or some people refer to it as sats. Um, so you've got this money that has the ability to be divided down to a very small unit. Um, and the way that people hold that money is that they receive it one of a number of ways. And there is a ledger that is essentially a list of every single transaction that's ever occurred since the very first Bitcoin was mined back in 2009. And it's a ledger that says for every coin that's ever existed, um, where did it come from and where did it go? And either it's sitting somewhere and it hasn't been spent um, or it's been spent and cannot be spent again. So to reiterate what we have so far, we have a decentralized network that is made up of tens of thousands of individual computers mm -hmm. that build that network. So even if let's just say a thousand of those computers go offline, the network is relatively unaffected. And we've actually seen that in real world use with, with uh, China removing the miners. So, so the Bitcoin network in real life did see what would be normally a very significant disruption, except that it didn't make much difference. So we have this network that, that is almost impossible to take down. Nothing is truly impossible, but it's, it would be, it would be quite extraordinary if the Bitcoin network were to go down. And I, and I don't know what series of events, if the Bitcoin network did go down, we would have other things to worry about besides the Bitcoin network. Right. That would mean that, you know, pretty much the internet wasn't working or there was no electricity. And, you know, again, we're not going to get technical and realistically we're not technical guys. Um, you know, I don't understand the software code aspect of it. Um, I understand some of the mechanics of it, but the, the reality is that it takes very little data to be able to send transactions across the network. And I, I've read things that you could even, in theory, you could do it over a radio signal. Um, you could do it over a messaging system like Skype. Um, there are all kinds of ways that data can be transferred over this decentralized network without there having to be a computer in a specific place for it to work. Right. I've, I've, I don't know exactly how you do it, but I understand you can do it with radio waves. I even have read something and I don't know how accurate it is that you can actually send a transaction using emoji. That's right. I don't think that's what people really want to do. So, so going back, well, but, and, and not to interrupt you, but the, it's not that people want, don't want to do it. It's that there are, there are ways to do it now that don't require it to be done that way. Um, but the point is that it has a high tolerance for, um, for infiltration and uh, nodes getting shut down. A, a lot of things would have to go very wrong for this network to not be 
usable? Yes, I think it is the world's most powerful computer network. And I've heard some stats that are just really kind of mind blowing with how powerful that network is. Like if you were to take every grain of sand on every beach in the world, that the Bitcoin network processes more calculations per second than every grain of sand in the world. Yeah, there's all kinds of you know stats out there where you can kind of put those in, into real world, world terms. One I, I've heard um, that I think is interesting is that if you took, you know, if every person in the world had a standard laptop um, and they were running it, it would still be less computing power than the Bitcoin network. Yeah, the, the numbers are crazy. So we have this, this kind of impenetrable network that is almost impossible to take down. And then on top of that, we have this, I'm going to call it for this discussion, a currency. But that mm -hmm. currency really is just a digital balance, meaning the network keeps track of everything that you have either received or deposited, and it keeps track of everything that you have spent or send to some, sent to someone. And at the end, you have this net balance, which the network calls UTXOs, but we don't need to get into that. So you have this, this balance on this network. You never physically take or even digitally take ownership of any of the Bitcoin. It never comes off the network. The network is just simply a list of every transaction that's ever taken place on the network. And it uses math to calculate what you have received or deposited and subtracts out what you have sent or spent. And then the other key point to that is that in order to spend any Bitcoin, and by spend, we mean to take Bitcoin that someone is holding and to send it somewhere else, um, whether that's to a different address that you control or an address that somebody else controls, um, in order to send Bitcoin that you own. And, you know, when you reference a UTXO, that's an unspent transaction is, is what that means. And in order for you to, to take any piece of an unspent transaction and send it somewhere else, you have to sign for it. And this is where the cryptography comes in. And you can kind of think of it almost like you would a paper check um, in the sense that you write a check or maybe you don't even have to write the check. You know, someone in your office writes a check and you're the CEO. They bring you the check to sign it. Um, and, you know, it's a simplified explanation. But in order for that check to clear, the bank confirms that your signature matches the signature on the card. Um, and this network is essentially doing the same thing, except it's not tied to individuals. It's tied to addresses. And so the, the software has the ability to say, okay, the address that sent this Bitcoin actually corresponds to the owner of the key to that Bitcoin. And so that's how the network validates that transactions are, are legitimate. Okay. So adding on to to what we had before, we essentially have part of the Bitcoin system is, I'm going to call it a messaging app. If you want to think yeah. of it like email, if you want to think of it like an instant message, you send a message. When you initiate a Bitcoin transaction, you are essentially sending a message to the Bitcoin network that says, I want to spend, I'm going to say a hundred dollars or 0.0001 Bitcoin, whatever you, however you want to put it. I want to spend this amount and I am authorized to spend this amount. And here are 
here's my private key, which validates and confirms that I am indeed the owner of these unspent transactions. Mm-hmm. And then the network goes through some really brilliant processes to confirm that I am indeed the owner and that I do indeed have the $100 or so to send. Yeah. First of all, stop talking about it in fiat. Let's uh, let's talk about it in sats. So you got 100,000 sats. Um, um, so you got 100,000 sats and you want to send them somewhere. Um, that's right. You create a transaction, uh, originate a transaction, uh, whether that's from your wallet, whether whether you're, you know, if, when you move money off of an exchange into your wallet, um, that's a Bitcoin transaction. The, the exchange is the one originating that transaction, but somebody originates the transaction. Um, and once that transaction is originated, it gets broadcast to the network. So this data goes out onto the network and the very first node, um, which could be any full node, just like the ones we're going to talk about when we get into best practice number four, um, some node at random is going to receive that message and they're going to compare the data in that transaction against the rules of the network. And we're not going to get into the rules, but you know, here's an example of one of the rules. We know that there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And we know that you don't want to send zero Bitcoin. So as long as that as long as the amount that you're sending is somewhere between zero and 21 million Bitcoins, it could be valid. There are other reasons why it may or may not be, but there's a set of rules that say, okay, it's like a checklist. Does it meet this criteria? Does it meet that criteria? And the node kind of checks all of those boxes. And once all of the boxes get checked, um, it then propagates that transaction to other peers that it's connected to. Um, and in some cases, it might reject that transaction, in which case it'll never go anywhere other than um, to tell the originator of that transaction that it's been rejected. And so once that gets sent to more nodes, it's kind of like, you know, the I told two friends and they told two friends and they and so on and so on. Pretty quickly, you've got this exponential growth of information being sent across the network and eventually, you know, maybe not every single node, but most of the nodes on the network have received that transaction and can also see that it's valid. Okay, so in its most simple form, Bitcoin is a network of, let's say 10,000 plus computers Mm -hmm. that do not belong to any central authority in any way. In fact, Mm -hmm. any person can have a computer on the Bitcoin network, which is one of the things we're gonna talk about tonight. But it's, it's a group of, let's say, 10,000 plus uh, not centrally owned computers. Those computers keep this giant list or giant spreadsheet or giant ledger, whatever you want to call it. People describe in different ways of everything that's ever happened on that network. And that data is held and copied to all those 10,000 plus computers. So everyone has a copy of that same list. And then... When you want to spend any of your Bitcoin, you send it in multiple ways, but really it's just like sending a message. If you could think about it as like an instant message, you could think about it as like an email, you could think about it as like a text message. I think everyone's familiar with that. And when you send that message out, instead of it going directly to the person you're trying to send it to, 
it, it has a protocol that it has to go through on these 10,000 plus computers. And we're just going to put that protocol in kind of a, a black box because I don't think most people who are into Bitcoin really understand that process. And, and even if you do understand parts of it, you can go deeper and deeper to well, where look, you would have issues. I, and let, let's, let's, I want to make a point there about that because this is something that comes up a lot when I talk to people about Bitcoin is that a lot of the stuff, I find it super interesting. I think it's just fascinating technology and the way that it works is, is interesting to me. So I, I study it, but at the same time, um, you know, I have a smartphone. Um, I'm really good at using it. I can do pretty much everything I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. I couldn't tell you the first thing about how my iPhone works. It just, it works and I know how to use it. So yeah. a lot of this stuff, you don't need to know exactly how it works under the hood. You just need to be able to interact with it. I agree with that. And, and, and I think that if we could break Bitcoin down, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on this. If we were to break Bitcoin down into its simple form, is it just these, for people to receive and send Bitcoin, is it really just this giant network, a list of every transaction, and a way to send a transaction that's going to go through a series of computer calculations to make sure that you're actually able to do it? Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. It's it is a way to transmit data and that data represents a transfer of value from one place to another. Right. And the network the network and the protocol makes sure that you cannot spend the same money twice. Right. So we've talked about we've talked about transactions, we've talked about nodes and we've talked about the network, you know, receiving transactions that have been propagated from the node that, that first validated it. And then kind of the last piece of that puzzle is that the transaction, once it's validated, then gets included in a block. And a block is basically, you know, I think of it as a block is if you have an Excel workbook and you have, you know, tabs of of different data within the workbook, it's kind of like that. So you got a big Excel spreadsheet and you've got the latest block is a tab out of, you know, thousands of tabs in an Excel spreadsheet. And each tab prior to the current one um, is a cumulative list of everything that has been received and spent along the way. And in order for your transaction to be included in a block, um, a miner has to confirm it. And so when you hear about Bitcoin mining, what they're talking about is a computer that's solving a math problem. And it's not even really solving a math problem as much as it is guessing a really, really, really big number. Um, and by guessing that number, there's all these computers competing to be the first one to guess that number. And the one that guesses that number closes the block and receives a reward in the form of Bitcoin, new Bitcoin that never existed, that has never been spent. Um, they call that the uh, block reward. And it's part of every block is that the miner who solves that block closes that block and that block becomes 
part of the chain of all of the other blocks that came before it, which is why it's called the blockchain. Um, and so that blockchain, um, there is a period of time that, you know, a transaction is considered to be more valid than it was before. And that's as the confirmations of that transaction kind of stack on top of each other. So the first time it gets included in a block, you've got one confirmation that that block, that that transaction is valid in the block that it's in. Well, the next block also includes the prior block. And if you're talking about the ability to to kind of infiltrate the network or what they call the double spending problem, which means that you're, you know, spending Bitcoin that someone else has spent. The longer you go and blocks get built on top of the one that your transaction is in, the much harder it gets for you, for anyone to be able to um, kind of undo that and, and spend money that's already been spent. Mm-hmm. The one of the ways I like to think about mining is it's almost like a giant lottery, except Mm -hmm. you don't buy tickets for that lottery beforehand. Uh, A number gets set and then thousands and thousands of computers who are processing trillions and trillions of of guesses per second are trying to guess this impossibly large number. And they're actually not trying to guess the exact number. it's, It's so large that you may never get there. So the network adjusts for a range. You just have to get a number in a range. Now where I'll, I'll disagree with you a little bit on that is that you said you don't buy the lottery tickets in advance. Well, where I disagree with you there is that you are buying the lottery tickets in the form of paying for the energy it takes to run the computers that are processing those calculations. And so, and so when you, when you think about a mining computer, they're expending energy and energy costs money. Um, and so they are paying for those lottery tickets in the form of electricity. Right. Well, what I mean by advance is they're not, uh, they're not, they don't buy the tickets uh, two days before and then try and cash them in. They have to buy a ticket, guess, buy a ticket, guess, buy a ticket and guess again. And it's, it's really quite ingenious how it all works, but one of the things which I didn't understand originally with Bitcoin is I thought it was solving like a very hard math problem. And like the first computer to solve this impossible math problem uh, would be able to mine a block, but really it's just, it's, it's supposed to be luck. It was intended to be luck so that no one node uh, or no one mining operation would have an advantage over anyone else. Now, of course you can buy many more mining machines, but I know in the past month, there were like three people running a single machine that each mined a block, which is quite extraordinary. So there is a huge element of luck in Bitcoin mining. Yeah. And one other analogy that I thought was was really good is that when that block gets solved, it's the it's the end of that competition, but it's also the starting gun for the next competition. So if you don't get in, if you don't solve this block, then you just immediately go to the next one and you keep going until maybe you get one. And then without trying to get too technical, the, the Bitcoin network is an autonomous network in the sense that there's no, 
Bitcoin does not have a CEO. It does not have a marketing department. It does not have a, a technology department. Bitcoin is no help desk. Yeah, there's no help desk. There's no 800 number for Bitcoin. And the network and the algorithm adjust itself automatically based on how quickly the miners are solving blocks. So the intention is for the network to solve a block approximately every 10 minutes. But if we have miners that come offline, like what happened recently with China, then at that current rate of difficulty, maybe it took instead of 10 minutes to mine a block, 20 or 30 minutes to mine a block. And after a certain number of blocks, which is usually around two weeks, the network evaluates how fast the blocks were being mined and it recalibrates the difficulty in order to get it back to a 10 minute interval per block without that's anybody, right. yeah, without that, anybody adjusting what, it. That's what gives um, Bitcoin one of its, you know, best monetary features is that the, the supply of it is not only fixed, it's predictable in terms of when new coins are going to come onto the market. And that's every, every 10 minutes. And it's really such a brilliant part of it because what you saw happen in China last year was that you had something like 50% of the mining power that was solving the, you know, guessing these, these numbers um, went offline over a very short period of time. And so as soon as that happened, it was, it was really, really, um, you know, it had a drastic effect on how difficult it was to solve those numbers. All of a sudden you have far fewer computers doing those calculations. It's going to take a lot longer to solve that, that problem. And so over that next two weeks, once the difficulty adjustment got changed so that it was easier to solve blocks, the mining computers that were left on the network were able to adjust and then be able to guess those numbers in a way that allowed the coins to come, um, come into the network, you know, closer to that 10 minute average. Yeah. The system really is the deeper I found, the deeper I go in Bitcoin, the more I start to understand it, the more brilliant I think it is and the more well thought out it is. It's really quite remarkable. So with that, we're going to get now, I think, to best practice number four, which is to run your own node. So these are the nodes we were talking about. These are the 10,000 plus computers that all keep a record of every transaction that's ever taken place. And there's another part I'd like to add on to that, which is to add a watch only wallet. And we will explain what that means. So first of all, to run a node is extremely easy. There are prepackaged solutions that I think they start around $400. And you'll simply buy something that looks, oh, I'd say it's about the size of a, a little bit bigger than a deck of cards and a little bit smaller than a paperback book. Well, and, and by the way, those solutions are, those are dedicated solutions. I mean, plenty of people are running nodes just on a, on a computer they had an old laptop or, you know, the, the last computer that they had before they upgraded to the, to the newer um, latest and greatest version. Um, 
you can easily take one of those and run the Bitcoin core software on it and run your own node just from, you know, an internet connection and a laptop. Um, it gets a little more techy to do that. Um, it's not, there's not a great interface. Um, it's functional. And if you're more technically inclined, then it's doable. But, you know, as we started researching these solutions, there are prepackaged versions um, or something that's maybe somewhere between a prepackaged and a do-it-yourself kind of thing. But most of these are running on uh, on Raspberry Pi computers. And a Raspberry Pi is, um, you know, it's a computer about the size of a deck of cards. Um, and you take that and you combine it with a, um, you know, just a standard one terabyte hard drive. And you install software that you can download for free. And you've got this interface. Um, here, I'll put this up on the screen. These are, uh, these are examples of Raspberry Pis that are running Bitcoin. Um, and um, uh, I will also say, and there, like I said, there's many ways to do it, but um, the software that we like is one called Umbrel. Um, U-M-B-R-E-L, kind of like uh, an umbrella. And the this came from uh, umbrella from umbrel's uh twitter feed they they posted a picture of a bunch of their uh the nodes that that folks are running using their software and so you know you can get one of these computers you buy these parts on amazon costs like uh you know a couple hundred dollars and and you're you're you know it takes I don't know, 15 minutes to put it all together and you plug in your uh, router and before you know it, it's downloading the blockchain onto your hard drive. And so that's the key point to running your own node is that when you first set it up, it's going to sync with the Bitcoin network and it's going to download the entire blockchain. So the entire history of every transaction in Bitcoin, like we talked about, is going to show up um, not from a website that you search it on, which you can do. There are all these block explorers out there that you can access with any internet browser. Um, and you can type an address into there or you can type a transaction ID into there and it'll show you, um, you know, information around that. But, um, but that's different because if you're doing that, you're relying on someone else's version of the blockchain to tell you what's there. If you download it onto your own hard drive, you've got the version of it on your computer that's, you know, running on your network. Um, the other thing is that a lot of these will, uh, they run over, over the Tor network, which is a, a private version of the internet. Um, so there's not like a public IP address where somebody could say, Oh, I see this, you know, this software out there um, at a certain location. It's all kind of hidden um, behind the scenes. And, and what Umbral does is it gives you a, a suite of tools that um, lets you not only see the blockchain from your local version of it, but do a bunch of other different things um, on the Bitcoin network through different interfaces. So, for example, it also runs a Lightning Network node, which is uh, the Lightning Network is a, a second layer on top that sits on top of the Bitcoin network that allows you to send very small amounts of Bitcoin for very little money in a very fast way. 
Um, so you can do that with your node. Um, it also has a, a Bitcoin wallet built into it. So if you want to have, um, you know, some amount of Bitcoin that's on a wallet on your node, um, or you want to be able to move that Bitcoin onto the Lightning Network, um, that's a way to do it. Um, so here I'll also show, this is just kind of a screenshot from, uh, from the node that shows, you know, how many connections you have. So uh, what block is the most recent, um, you know, and just some other information about the, uh, about the, the network. So it's a nice, easy to use interface and it gives you the ability to interact with the network. Um, separately, Umbral has some other cool stuff that you, that maybe not even Bitcoin related, just some decentralized tools, um, everything from photo sharing to um, network wide ad blockers that can, you can run in your house. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with it. But, um, but for us, the one thing that we really like to do with our node is to run a watch only wallet. Right. So going back to the node, because I think you got into a lot of technical stuff that uh, that may that may be a bit overwhelming is that running a node is not hard. There are ways that you can do it if you really want to get deep on it and you want to play around with the Bitcoin network. It's certainly there for you to do. But if you're just a simple person and you just want to, I'm going to say, follow the best practices, getting a node up and running can be done if you, quite easily. You can use an old computer, like you said. It just needs to, the, the Bitcoin, the, the block size right now or the, the total uh, hard drive space it takes up right now is around 540, 550 gigabytes. Mm -hmm. So you need about a terabyte or so for it to run comfortably. But once you set it up, it's really kind of out of the way. And I set my first one up using a laptop and I thought that was a a little getting it set up wasn't hard, but I interacting with it was difficult. And then I switched over to the umbral node, which I really didn't understand at first. But once it was plugged in, I saw how simple it was. And it's, it's quite remarkable. And, and with that running, we get into the point of why, what the advantage is of running your own node, which is your ability to create something called a watch only wallet. Mm -hmm. And when when you get a statement of your account, let's say from your bank, let's say the bank says you have $10,000 in there. That, that statement is really just an IOU from the bank to you. Mm -hmm. With If you're running a node on the Bitcoin network with a watch-only wallet, and, and we're going to describe that term, watch-only means you can watch it only. You cannot interact with it. You cannot spend from it. It gives you the ability to monitor your actual Bitcoin balance on the Bitcoin network in real time. And that is extraordinary. That is something that we've never really been able to do with any kind of financial asset previously that we don't have physical custody of. So obviously right, you I... have 10 gold bars, you know, you have 10 gold bars, but if you have 10 gold bars that are sitting in, in custody somewhere else besides your own property, you don't really have a way to monitor and be sure that nothing has happened to those gold bars. But with a watch only wallet that runs on your node, you can go on there at any time and confirm that if you have, if you think you're supposed to have three Bitcoin, 
or let's say 3.25 Bitcoin, you can go on there at any time and see that you actually have independently verified that you have 3.25 Bitcoin. Yeah, so maybe I'm going to give an example of how I use this um, on a regular basis. Um, so I have a setup where I buy a recurring amount of Bitcoin every week. And once I've bought that Bitcoin, I immediately move it to my multi-sig wallet set up at Unchained. And when I do that, um, I get, you know, I get a notification from, from both the exchange where I buy the Bitcoin um, and from Unchained saying that a transaction has been broadcast to your address. And what I can then do is take the details of that transaction and copy and paste that into one of the apps that's running on my node. And so now I can see my transaction in real time on the network, even before it's been confirmed. And so when we go back to what we were just talking about and you've got um, transactions that have been broadcast, but not yet included in a block, I can see that transaction sitting there and I know that it matches the number of Satoshis that uh, that the place where I bought it from tells me I have. It matches the number of Satoshis that Unchained says is coming my way and it gives me an independent verification coming straight off of the hard drive sitting a foot away from me that that money is coming to an address that I control. So that's kind of step one is that you can verify transactions in real time using your copy of the blockchain. The next step is that once that's been confirmed, then I can go into my watch only wallet and I can see that now the balance in that wallet matches exactly what Unchained says is sitting in my wallet based on my setup there. So it really gives you that ability to take a transaction and know that it's coming to you and then be able to see that once it's hit, the network says you've received it, that it's actually there. Right. So because you never really take physical custody of anything on the Bitcoin network, and because you put, if you're doing things correctly, you're going to put it into a storage setup that's very difficult to access. The, the magic of running your own node and having a watch-only wallet is that you can independently verify that the Bitcoin that you think you own, the Bitcoin network agrees with you, right? Mm -hmm. that, that the balance you think you're supposed to have matches what the Bitcoin network says you actually have. And I think that's very unique in the world of, of assets in general and certainly very unique in the world of digital assets. Sure. And going back to your, you know, your, your bank balance example, um, which, you know, I'm sure most people can log into their bank account um, on their computer, on their phone, they can see what's sitting there. Um, but, you know, if something were to happen where there was a, you know, a run on the banks and a lot of people decided at once and let's just use a simplified example. Let's just say you bank at the branch that's, you know, five minutes from your house and 
you got to the bank because you wanted to make a withdrawal of $10,000. And when you got there, there was a line, you know, wrapped around the building because everybody decided that day that they wanted their $10,000 out of their account. Well, by the time they get to you, your bank, your, that money may not be sitting in that bank. Um, it doesn't mean that you couldn't get it eventually. Um, maybe you couldn't, but, but this is, this is the opposite of that. This is, this is your money. You control it. And you don't have to wait in line behind anybody to get it. You can just spend it at will. You, you know, if, if you send a wire transfer, I, you know, I, I deal in finance and I'd send wire transfers quite often. And, you know, in order to send a wire transfer, you have to go through an entire process and a security protocol to send some of your money from your account to someone else's account, um, whether that's at the same bank or a different bank. And, that is a process that involves multiple third parties. Well, if I want to send you that same amount of value, um, all I need to do is have a valid address to send it to. And I can, you know, go into my wallet and send that money to you without having to worry about a third party getting involved. Right. So I think for people, if they were going to explain to someone why, why is, why is there a, a best practice number four running your own full node? I think at least my answer to that is that it, it will give you a way to verify that the amount of Bitcoin you own is, is actually the amount that the Bitcoin network says you own. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a unique way to verify that what you think is yours is actually yours. And that's why it should be included in everyone's best practice, because otherwise you, you, you technically are relying on a third party to confirm the value you have on the network as opposed yeah, to independently I, verifying. Yeah. And, you know, Bitcoin is a bearer asset, um, meaning that whoever, whoever has the ability to spend that Bitcoin um, can spend that Bitcoin and there is nothing that you can do about it. And so, you know, we use this example in our in our best practices paper, which is that if you think of any other bearer asset, and I think a gold bar is a perfect example of a bearer asset. Um, if you have a gold bar and you store it in a safe in your house, um, you know, having a watch only wallet is the equivalent of having a camera inside of that safe that's on 24 hours a day that you can flip on at any moment. And you can see that that gold bar is sitting exactly in your safe where you thought it was. Um, and that it's, you know, the same gold bar that was there yesterday when you checked it. And so um, it, you know, and one of these kind of tenets of Bitcoin is don't trust verify. And this is a perfect example of how you don't have to trust in order to verify that you've got the Bitcoin that you think you have. Yep. I love the example of the, the camera inside the safe or the vault where you can watch your gold bars. And so this one, this best practice for Bitcoin is just a way for you to have a camera and watch what you really have there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that it's just a really unique tool um, that allows you to have just even more control over your Bitcoin. And for people that are intimidated by this or people that think that they like the idea, but they wouldn't know where to get started for setting up a node and what to do, 
Bitcoin butlers can help you. You can contact us. We can help you get set up. We can help you with your watch only wallets. And I know for the people that, that we've set this up for, they're quite amazed when they see their balance uh, through this independent source on the network. It's, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see. I know I like yeah, it. It's it's pretty neat. The first time you see it work, you're like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, we can absolutely help with that. Um, you know, even if you want to get the Umbral software, we can, we can put the equipment together for you and send it to you. And the way that this works is that it does have a 24 word seed phrase associated with it, just like any other um, Bitcoin wallet. And so, you know, it's not like we can do anything before you get it. You plug it in, you write down your seed words. You're the only one who has them at that point. And um, you plug it in and start it up and you wait for it to sink and you're off to the races. Yep. It's, it's really great. Well, I hope in this episode that people have a more basic understanding of some of the, I'm going to call it simple fundamentals of Bitcoin. And if not, we will keep trying to explain this. But once it sort of clicks for you, I think it's, it's once it clicks, you realize it's really not that complicated. Now, of course, the cryptography and the whole process is pretty complicated. But like your great analogy with your iPhone that I don't have a clue what happens when I press send on an on a instant message. I just know that the person I'm sending it to is going to receive it. With that, can you tell people where to find us, please? Yeah, you can find us um, at our website, btcbutlers.com. Uh, you can email us at info at btcbutlers.com or on tr Twitter at, at btcbutlers. Um, you can DM us there. Um, also, if you enjoy this, please subscribe to our YouTube channel um, or to whatever podcast uh, service you're listening to. And um, we'd love to hear from you and see how we can help you. Right. And just to reiterate, Bitcoin Butlers can help you find the right solution for where to buy your Bitcoin. We can help you select the right solution and for where to store your Bitcoin. We can help you move your Bitcoin from where you purchased it to where you'll be storing it. We can help you with a sovereign inheritance plan to make sure that your heirs can get to your Bitcoin and that it's distributed in the manner that you wish. And we can also help you set up a node and a watch-only wallet. Great. So please reach out if you need some help. Matt, thank Thanks. you again. Be well. Take care.